It is good to see you today. Uh, Before we dig in here, I want to give you just maybe a quick update and maybe a quick request. Um, We are just weeks away now, I mean literally a few weeks away from some first events happening at the vault opening right here at the Garden City campus. Now some of you know, you've heard us talk about the vault that got started in Harrisonville a year plus ago. We really felt like God wanted us to start to duplicate some of that. This was an obvious place to do it. And so people have been working, painting, you know, moving stuff in and out. Um, we're getting really close. It's, it's almost time for some of those first events to happen. So I'm asking you to pray. I'm asking you to pray that all that could come together. I'm asking you to pray that we could really, you know, start on a positive uh, note. I'm telling you, the ministry of the vault is messy. It's messy. Um, I, I kind of thought it was going in, but I know it even more now. And it's not just messy with those to whom we are attempting to reach in terms of students. It's just messy because everybody wants kids fixed, but very few people want to listen and love to get there. Everybody's got an idea of kind of how to make it work, but very few people want to listen and love to get it done. And so I'm, I'm saying, I, we need to just keep on praying. Keep on praying for those ministries all the time. Um, and then one quick request. One of the things that needs to get done is somebody uh, to help us rebuild one of those wooden uh, ramps, you know, access to, to the building out there. Um, so if you got some mad construction skills, we would love to know that. At this point, even if they're not mad, if they're just construction skills, we will take them, all right? Just something uh, to help us just rebuild one of those a little bit to make, make the access what it needs to be. Uh, we have gotten more than our money's worth out of the first set of ramps that are there. It, it's time um, to update that. So if you, could, if you could help us out, let me know, all right? Let's go to work. Sometimes places are known for who lives there. Right? You ever seen that be the case? Like a town is famous because of a famous resident who might live there. Uh, let's just roll a few, through a few here and see if you, you can get what I'm saying. Let's, let's say Tupelo, Mississippi. You're like, I didn't even know there was a Tupelo, Mississippi. But some of you already know the famous resident of Tupelo, Mississippi. It's just one name. It is Elvis. Yeah, it's Elvis. There he is. Tupelo, Mississippi. That's pretty cool. All right, how about Sinking Spring, Texas, or Kentucky? Sinking Spring, Kentucky. Anybody know? It's kind of really more like a farm than it is an actual town. I'll give you a hint. It's a famous president. Abraham Lincoln. Sinking Spring, Kentucky. I guarantee you there ain't nothing else Sinking Spring, Kentucky is known for. All right? It literally is a sinking spring. Can I tell you, there's a hole in the ground. It, 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 you can see that. All right, let, let's keep going for a minute. How about Roswell, New Mexico? Right, famous for, right, who, who lives there? Who lives in Roswell? Okay, maybe that one's not the best example. All right, but you, 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 get, you get what I'm saying. Let me give you one more. I like this one. Diamond, Missouri. Diamond, Missouri. Yeah, a most remarkable man by the name of George Washington Carver, right? He's from Diamond, Missouri. Go figure, down down south, 71, if you head straight down. Um, I still remember as a kid studying in school about George Washington Carver. I mean, it, it is most remarkable in an era of very high racial polarization, this man's fame reached across every racial line. I mean, he was a botanist, an inventor, an artist, an environmentalist. I mean, he was well known for his techniques of improving soil depletion. He had a national park named after him. He had a ship that was built in World War II named after him. I mean, just incredible. His contributions to the country and really to the world were just respected everywhere. Diamond, Missouri. Sometimes a place is known for who lives there. There's a quote that George Washington Carver used to give. 
It says, I love to think of nature as an unlimited broadcasting station through which God speaks to us every hour if we will only tune in. I like that. He's right. You look at creation, you look into the stars, you look at the sunrise, the sunset, it shouts the glory, the greatness of our God. But we are also grateful that God speaks through the Bible. He speaks to us through his word, and that is what we are studying in this series together called Seven. We are studying seven letters written by Jesus and recorded in the Bible so that we can read them and we can know this is, this is God speaking to us. Seven letters to seven churches in, a, in, in Asia Minor. Now, we're gonna up, I'm going to update you on the map, all right? It's like, where are we in this journey? Well, here's where we are in the journey, all right? Remember, seven churches there in Asia Minor. We started in Ephesus. We moved 40 miles to the north last week to Smyrna. And today, we are at the top of the horseshoe, all right? We're at the top, uh, as far north as we're going to go. We're going to turn next week and start coming back south. It's a place called Pergamum. Pergamum. You got this great names, all right? Now, we ask every week, what's the instruction that Jesus gives to the church at Pergamum, and what is the instruction that he gives to us, right? Now, we know each of these churches are referred to as lamps. They are lampstands. They, they are supposed to, to be light to the world that, are, that is around them, and so when we read these letters, it helps us be that kind of light in, in the places in which we live, and every week, we go to the mailbox, because that's exactly what these were. They were letters that Jesus wrote to the churches, and we read the next letter. This week, to the church in Pergamum. Revelation chapter 2, verse 12, is where the letter begins. Here's what it says. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, these are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Sometimes places are known because of who lives there. So what's your town famous for? Uh, Satan. That's what we're reading today. What what, what is your town, what's your town famous for? Satan lives there. Jesus says, I know where you live, and it is a very dark place. Now, to help us try to get into the mindset of what being a Christian in Pergamum might be like. Because again, these are letters written to the churches. So what's it like to try to be a Jesus follower in a place that's described as Satan's throne? This is where he's at home. How do you do that there? I want us to take a little tour. All right, we're going to take a little tour. And on this tour, I'm going to just try to point out several places along the way that I think will help us get this. Here's the first site that I want you to see. It is what's referred to as the Acropolis in Pergamum. Acropolis means a high place. It means a high place where there are often temples. This particular high hill, high hill is on the northeast side of the, of the modern city that we think of as, as Pergamum, and it is filled with temples. All right, so these people lived in, in a city where every day they would look up and you couldn't miss the Acropolis. You couldn't miss this high hill that's in front of you and just dotted across this hill. I'm only going to show you a few of them today. There were many, many temples. Now, not temples to the God, we would say, but these are temples to many gods. And remember, you are a Jesus follower attempting to be light in this city. Now, here's what we're going to do today. I got a little something for you, and you guys can go ahead and start if you want to. We're going to do a little distribution today. 
Um, there are going to be some buckets that, that are coming around the room. Um, I want you to take one. What's in the buckets? Um, rocks, all right? They're actually marble chips, all right? So these are chips of marble, all right? And so it's going to take a few minutes for them to work their way around the room. They, they really are rocks. And so just get you one. Pick the one you like, all right? There's big ones. There's small ones. There, there's all kinds. And I'm going to go ahead and say I understand they're a little gritty. They're a little gritty, all right? Deal with it, all right? I, 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 I washed them up the best we could, but, I mean, it's just what happens when you got to go dig up stuff from Pergamum, all right? No, not really. We didn't dig them up from Pergamum, all right? Maybe peculiar. I don't know, but they're, they, they, really are, they really are little chips of marble. And, and I want you to hold one today because many of the buildings that we're going to look at, many of the structures, many of the temples, they were made of this white marble. And so you imagine waking up every day, you look up on that hill, and it's just this, you know, the sun is just gleaming off these white marble structures. All right, I'm going to walk you through it. It's going to take a while for everybody to get a rock. That's okay. Here's our first stop. Our first stop is going to be at what's called the Asclepion. Asclepion, right? Now, that's kind of a, kind of a weird term, but here's what you need to think. Medical center. Everybody say medical center. That's what the Asclepion was. If you were sick in that day and you had the means to travel, you really would come from anywhere to get to the Asclepion. Today, we would sort of think of it being like going to Mayo Clinic, right? It's where you go. It's got a funny name because it's named after the Greek god Asclepius, right? So this is a statue of the Greek god Asclepius. Um, you will notice he's holding a staff, and can you tell what's around the staff? It's a snake, all right? Which, by the way, what is the symbol for medicine, even in our day, in the medical field, it is, you'll see the, the, the staff and there is a, a snake that's wrapped around it, all right? Asclepius is the god of medicine, if you will. That's what, that's what the Greeks believed, all right? So, here is a picture of the ruins of the Asclepion. There we go. So, that's kind of what's left. All right, and, and I realize that that's kind of difficult to get your mind around, but this is the way you got to think. The best medical minds in the region, the best. We have stories even where the Roman emperor would travel to Pergamum to go to the Asclepion. But it wasn't just like hospital rooms, there was also workout facilities. There was a, a theater, there was a spa, um, but there was also stuff like dream therapy. Dream therapy went like this. They put you in a room when you checked into the Asclepion. It was actually a big old room. And everybody just kind of slept in that room along with snakes. Now, non-poisonous snakes, so no problem. You're like, yeah, problem, <laughs> right? But no, really, they, you would sleep in a room with non-poisonous snakes, and during the night, if a snake slithered upon you, it was a sign of the healing that was to come. Now, I'm telling you that because I want you to get what we're dealing with here is a facility where there were the best minds of medicine and witch doctors. That's kind of the combo that we're dealing with here. What do you do if you are a Jesus follower in Pergamum? Okay, you get sick. You can go to the Asclepion and, and, and get some medication, but the problem is going to be in order to get the medication, they're going to make you do some weird pagan stuff, like stuff that God says don't do. So you can get your Tylenol. You just got to take a little witchcraft with it. You can take your medicine, but you got to do the hocus-pocus too. 
Now, we can kind of laugh about that if I'm, uh, maybe I just won't go, but what if your kid's sick? And what if your wife's sick? I mean, like sick. And nobody else has the means to give them the medicine that is needed, but you know that that medicine does exist at the Asclepion, but the problem is going to be, in order to bring your family there, you are going to have to lead your family into some strange religious practices of acknowledging false gods. Now again, your baby's sick, your wife's sick, the medicine's there, but you're going to have to worship something else. You're going to have to make it look like you are worshiping something else. I'm telling you, to be a Jesus follower in Pergamum, where Satan's throne is, was difficult. It was difficult. Stop number two. Stop number two. The, the Asclepian, by the way, was kind of down in the bottom. It, it was really where that photo would have been taken from that we just saw. It was down in the bottom. But let's go back up onto the hill. And up on the, the left side of the picture is what's called the Temple to Trajan. Trajan was the emperor, all right? at least a emperor. I think when the letters were written in Revelation, it was another emperor. It was not Trajan, but the image is the same point. Every emperor had a temple built, and every, every existing emperor was to be worshipped. And so in the days that Jesus writes the letter, there was an emperor that the people were expected to worship. They always go to the temple and they worship because they saw the emperors of, uh, to be sons of gods. Because how else do you explain such success? How else do you explain all that they have accumulated? How else do you explain all the kingdoms that they conquered when Rome was at its height? the Roman Empire, when it was at its, you know, fullest measure. Do you realize how many countries today would have been included in that Roman Empire? Let me give you a, just a sample. Portugal, Spain, France, Italy, Austria, Greece, Bosnia, Croatia, Turkey, Lebanon, Syria, parts of Iran, parts of Iraq, Israel, Egypt, Libya, Morocco, you get in the picture? The Roman armies didn't just conquer people. They conquered kingdoms. And when you are the king that conquers all other kings, then you become known as the king of kings. And that's how the Roman emperors were expected to be worshipped. What is that like? for a Jesus follower who knows who the king of kings is, but you are expected to do something different. Third stop. Our third stop is a little lower down the hill. It's what's called the Temple of Dionysius. Dionysius was the Greek god for wine, right? And so, and so you got this temple to Dionysius, and it is closely connected to, you can see right here in the middle, that's a theater. I think we got a closer shot of the theater. It is impressive. It is an incredible slope. We're talking double black diamond. I mean, it is, it is truly straight up and down. You could seat 10,000 people in that theater and no amplification. Like some days, that'd be great, wouldn't it? If we didn't have to worry about like any sound, that's, they, they hit no sound. Just you could talk and 10,000 people could hear you. To put that in perspective, if you've ever been to Starlight, you ever been to Starlight Theater, right? The outdoor theater, that seats about 8,000 when it's at capacity. We're, we're talking sizable theater on the side of this mountain. But here's where it gets weird. Right here. Let's go back. Right here would be the temple of Dionysius, the, the, the goddess of wine, okay? And so Greek theater actually started as a spring festival to the god Dionysius. 
That's how it started. They would form this festival. They would, they would have a celebration because they want the grape harvest to be great. I mean, that was about income. That, that was about making their lives better. And so they would have these, these festivals where they would worship the God of the grapes to hope that, that this would all work out. Well, that thing just kind of kept developing, if you will, to where eventually it was not just a festival, but then there was like, you know, drama that was brought in. It just became a bigger presentation. It is significant that it is located right next to the theater because what would happen is they would start this festival to Dionysius and, and, and let's just say inebriation and anything goes. And it would move from the temple onto the stage of the theater and then it just kind of began to spread across the whole side of the mountain. I, we're talking free-for-all, grab a partner, even if it's not your partner, and let's do si -do. That's the story. Think New Orleans at Mardi Gras. Think red light district in Bangkok, I would say, where anything you want to find, you can find. That's what it was like. And remember... No televisions, no smartphones. The theater was the entertainment. So you're a Christian living in Pergamum. And you're trying to live with a heart of purity. You're trying to live faithful to your spouse. And this is going on all around you. All the time. I'm telling you. It was tough being a Jesus follower in Pergamum. One more stop. Our last stop is on the other side of the Acropolis. That little clump of trees up there is what's referred to as the altar of Zeus. The altar of Zeus. Zeus, as in the Greek god, he was the, the, the king, right? The god of the gods, uh, king of the gods. It, that made it difficult enough for Christians, but what makes it even more difficult is this altar to Zeus was first built based on a military victory. Pergamum gained her independence, and as a result of that, they built this monument as a thanks to Zeus, who they counted as the one who would have given them victory. And so what I'm asking you to see is to reject the temple of Zeus, to reject the altar of Zeus, is not just a spiritual thing. It's a patriotic thing. It's sort of like a World War II monument, right? Built on the, on the mall of, right? It's, 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 it's monuments that are built to celebrate a country's freedom and independence. To not partake in those things. I mean, it would be like for us to disrespect the flag, to disrespect the national anthem. I mean, it, it just, it takes on a whole different level. It's not even just spiritual. By the way, if you look at the footprint of that, if we can go to the next picture, there it is. That's the footprint of what's left of the altar of Zeus. There's not much there anymore. But I will tell you, um, it was destroyed. That's why, that's why it wasn't there anymore, into just thousands of little pieces of white rock. But in the late 1800s, um, it was rediscovered, it was excavated, and it was reassembled. And today, if you want to see the altar of Zeus, you need to travel to Berlin. Yes, Berlin, as in Germany. And there, you will see this, which is the reconstruction of all those pieces that were gathered from Pergamum, taken to Berlin, and there is a building that contains this reconstructed actual altar of Zeus. A lot of people believe, by the way, that this altar of Zeus may be like the detail thing that Jesus is talking about when he talks about the throne of Satan. I I'm not convinced that it's not the whole city of Pergamum and everything I've already described to you already, but a lot of people want to attribute it right to this altar of Zeus. By the way, this thing was reconstructed in Berlin, right just in time 
for one of the worst dictators that the world has ever seen to come into power. His name was Hitler. You start attaching thrones of Satan to all that stuff, that'll send some chills down your spine. That's some weird stuff. When Jesus writes these letters, though, that was still in Pergamum. And Jesus says to these believers, look at the last part of verse 13, you did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives, just in case you missed it last time. He's saying, you, you, you didn't renounce your faith. But, and people like Antipas, they died. Antipas was executed because of his faith in Jesus. He, he was executed because he wasn't who he used to be. He won't go worship at that, the temple of Trajan anymore, right? He, he, won't, he won't promote the Asclepion anymore. He won't do any of that stuff. And so at the top of the altar to Zeus, there was a hollowed out bull made of bronze. And they would tie people up, just like they did Antipas, and they stuffed them inside that bronze bull. Then they would light a fire underneath it. And they would roast the person on the inside. There were tubes in that bull, like like horns, and so when the person would obviously scream, That sound would resonate from that bronze bull. It turned the screams of the dying into a roar of a beast. So what do you think it was like to be a Jesus follower in Pergamum? Jesus said, Back in that first part of that verse, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. Man, what what precious words. Jesus is like, look, I know how hard this has been. I have seen how faithful you have been. Keep holding on. Keep, keep holding on. And you know what? These letters, they still speak. It is God still speaking. He says to the very same thing to you and I today. Because come on, how do you live as a Christian in a culture that's constantly calling you to compromise? How do you live in a culture that says, ah, just come on. I mean, I, I think of all just... Just daily stuff. I mean, I think people who, who serve at a restaurant, right, with, with, you know, maybe it's a heavy party scene, the things that you have to listen to, the things that you have to avoid. I, I, I think of people sitting in a university classroom with a philosophy teacher, brilliant, right, S- just so smart, so funny. You really like him. But he said on day one, That his mission was to destroy the naive faith of Christians. And he hasn't made you deny your faith. But some days he really makes you feel stupid. Maybe you're in law enforcement. And man, you see things daily. Right? Three o'clock in the morning. You're dealing with domestic disputes. Right? Maybe due to alcohol. It would just be so easy for your heart to go cynical on this whole world. Maybe it's your job site you have to deal with, the language. Maybe it's the jokes. And, and the problem is they're dirty and they're hilarious. And so when people tell them everybody laughs, and, and if you don't laugh, there you go. Mr. or Miss Christian with your nose stuck up in the air, holier than everybody else, right? If you don't laugh, you're holier than everybody else. But if you do laugh, you are compromising the very heart that God has called you to. I'm saying, come on, we can get this. We, we live in a culture that constantly calls us to compromise. Jesus says, I know where you live, and I know where you work, and I know where you study. And I know the pressure. Keep holding on. Keep holding on. You're like, Jeff, sometimes I don't hold on. Sometimes I cave in. 
And Jeff, you're not going to convince me. When you describe what goes on in Pergamum, man, I bet these people caved in sometimes. And you're right. They did. They did. Because on one hand, they wanted to stay true to Jesus. But on the other hand, they wanted what was comfortable and enjoyable and safe for their family. And so Jesus says in verse 14, Nevertheless, a few things, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to, to entice the Israelites to, to sin so that they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. He says, we got some things we need to correct. And then he starts throwing out these names, right? Who, who is Balaam? Who, who is Balak? Who is Nickelodeon? It's like, I think my kids watch that, right? Who, what, what is this? Well, let's start with Balak and Balaam. Balak was the king of Moab. This happened long time ago. The king of Moab who wanted to throw a curse on God's people, Israel. God's people are about to enter the promised land. They come near Moab. Balak's like, we we, we need a curse. And so he hires a prophet named Balaam. And he says, I want you to curse them. But every time, as the story goes, and you can read it, Numbers 22 through about 25, it's, it's kind of a lengthy story, but you can read it. Every time Balaam opens his mouth to curse God's people, God twists his words, and he actually ends up blessing the people. It's a remarkable story. Three times he tried to curse them. Three times God turned it into a blessing, and Balak is just furious. It tells us in Deuteronomy 23 how it happened. In verse 4 it says, They hired Balaam to pronounce a curse on you. However, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam, but turn the curse into a blessing for you, because the Lord your God loves you. Aren't those sweet words? Here's the point. You cannot turn God's heart away from his people. Come on, Balaam. You can't turn God's heart away from his people. He loves them. And so then Balaam says to Balak, okay, plan B. You see all these shrines around here to Baal, the false god? Well, these Israelites, that God has told them they are not supposed to worship any other gods. You need to entice them to come on over and worship the false gods. Well, how in the world am I going to do that, Balaam? Well, Balak, you just send the young women into the Israelite camp and have them say to the young Israelite men, come on over. Come worship at the Baal altar. Come enjoy the food and come enjoy us. Let's just say this was an all-inclusive deal. And they went. See, Balaam knows, or at least he figured it out, if you can't turn God's heart away from his people, then plan B is let's turn the people's heart away from God. If you can't get God to stop loving them, then let's go after their hearts so that they won't love him. Now try to put yourself in that story, right? You you try to go, okay, you wonder what the conversations happened the day after that these young men cave in to this deal. Hey, I thought you were a follower of God. And he says, well, I am. And we say, well, then what was that last night? What in the world? What was that? If you're, if you're a follower of God, what, what are you doing over there? And he's like, I, no, it, that's nothing. That was, that was just a one-time thing. I, I, I really am a follower of God. You see the disconnect? It, it was so subtle, the attempt to say, I'm with God and, okay, I'm going to do this. It wasn't God or Baal. They turned it into God and Baal. And I'm saying that's what happened in Pergamum. And that's what happens here. It's this shift from Jesus, period. It's Jesus versus Jesus plus. That's what the Nicolaitan story is about. 
they actually, we believe, were people from within the church. They're not people who are, who are just, you know, trying to push Jesus out. What, what we know, we're not totally sure what they believe, but what we know happened is somewhere along the way, they lost the sight of the true message and they replaced it with something else. And it just happened one little step at a time. One little step at a time. One at a time, you should, you should recognize that phrase. Because we're promoting an effort right now called one at a time. How do you change the world? One hurt at a time, one heart at a time, one neighbor at a time. Which, by the way, some of y'all still ain't signed those things. They're in your worship guide one more time today. I'm asking you to take a couple of minutes today. Maybe, maybe it doesn't even take you 60 seconds to fill that thing out that just says I'm in. All right? Everybody keeps going, well, this is a great idea, great idea. Well, just put your name on it and say, we'll help. And as the projects come in, we'll contact, we'll work it together. It's raining outside. You got nowhere to go, right? Take 60 seconds, write it down, and just say, hey, I'm in. You can drop them in the boxes when you go, one at a time, one at a time. But what we see in this story is that one at a time also works in a negative. Nobody just wakes up in somebody else's bed and thinks, hmm, you're not my wife. Mm -mm. No, that happens. One thought at a time. One act at a time. One grudge at a time. One moment I refuse to forgive at a time. One at a time, one at a time, one at a time, one at a time. And over time, what gets built is a new little idol. Just one stone at a time. A new little idol, just one stone at a time. Look, I want you to take the rock, your special rock that you chose today. And I want you to put that rock somewhere this week in the sense of I want you to place that rock by something that reminds you that moving from Jesus period to Jesus plus happens one little step at a time. Maybe it's your computer. You know that's the place. Put the rock there this week. Put the rock there this week so that it'll remind you this shift from Jesus. I'm just with Jesus to I'm with Jesus plus. No, it happens one step at a time. Put the rock there. Maybe for you it's impatience. It's, it's things like you've got to drive to work an hour and back every day. It's the road rage, road rage thing, right? Put the rock in your car. Put it somewhere you can see it. Put it, put it in the cup holder wherever. Maybe it's anger or it's built up resentment toward your spouse. It's the kind of thing that tends to, to escalate maybe even at night. I'm saying put it, put it on your nightstand by your bed. Maybe it's self-deprecating. It's, it's you saying, I, I, I'm not beautiful. I hate how I look. Then put it by your mirror. Put it by your mirror. Put it somewhere that you will see it, that turning away of our hearts from an ultimate allegiance to Jesus. It is subtle. It is simply a degree at a time, and it is only when we get way down the road that we realize how far we have run. So what's the word for Jesus, for the church? Where do we go from here? Jesus says this, it's not okay. This is not okay. Jesus plus, that's not okay. It is Jesus, period. Right? Maybe we're in trouble with this one. I mean, all seven letters speak to us, but I, I'm not sure there's a letter that speaks louder to our culture that calls us to compromise in so many different areas where we want Jesus plus the other stuff. We want Jesus plus our drinking habits, right? And you're like, come on, Jeff. I don't think Jesus has a problem with a beer. Well, I ain't talking about a beer at this moment. I'm talking about a keg. I'm talking about when it begins to own you, right? I'm talking about it owns you and you know you are marching down a path 
that is not going to end well, but you march down the path anyway. You want Jesus plus the affair. You want Jesus plus your biting sarcasm, right? You want Jesus plus. And Jesus is like, no, no, this is not okay. He, he's saying, young men, it is not okay that you use every girl along the way. It's not okay. It is not Jesus plus. It is Jesus, period. He calls us into a way. And in Pergamum, that was difficult because that way was countercultural. To follow the way of Christ leads you away from every other way. The way of, of drugs, the way of porn, the way of greed, the way of bitterness, the way of addictions. It leads you away from those things. Jesus says, follow me, but you can't have both. And so in verse 16, he simply says, repent. Repent. Repent means to turn around. It's to do a 180. It is to change. It is a, a change of mind that leads to a change of behavior. It, it is a moment with, that some of you need to come to today where you're going, it, okay, it, this cannot be Jesus plus. This has to be Jesus, period. And when it becomes Jesus, period, then there's some other things that need to go away. They need to go away. I can't follow Jesus plus gossip at work. I can't follow Jesus plus look at porn. I, I cannot follow Jesus plus lose my temper when people don't live up to my expectations. I need to start putting these things away. Jason used the word for it today. It, it is a sanctification process where you are leaning fully into Jesus and he is changing your heart. He is changing your life. But what happens if we don't repent? He says, repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. That sounds serious. He's already told us early on, right, that he's the one who has the sharp two-edged sword. It was a symbol for Rome that Caesar was the one who executed justice. He was the one who decided right from wrong. And Jesus is saying, uh-uh. No, he's not. I'm the one with the double-edged sword. I'm the one who executes justice perfectly. In Ephesians, we are told that the word of God, Scripture, right, the Bible, it is the sword of the Spirit. And in Hebrews chapter 4, we are told that it is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to cut away even the most indistinguishable things, but they're in my heart and they're not consistent with who Jesus is and the way that he's called, his word will cut those things away. Here's the point. Truth matters. Holiness matters. Individual, undivided affection for Jesus is what matters. But here's what's also the case. Jesus has not given up on you. You get that? It's like even, even if he's called you to a way and, and you are slowly putting the rocks over, he's saying, I'm coming. That's good news. Because that means he hasn't given up on us. That means even though he knows what I've done, even though he knows my sin, he, he's, not, he's not quitting. Even if I'm living in open rebellion, I'm telling you, Jesus is coming after you. And he's saying, I'm going to speak my word into your heart, and it is going to cut. I'm telling you, it is painful. It is painful. But it's the scalpel of a great physician who brings healing. And he loves you that much. Jesus loves you no matter what you've done. We say that a lot around here. Jesus loves you no matter what you've done. Y'all think that's true? You think that's true? Jesus loves you no matter what you've done. It is true. That's why we say it a lot. But here's what's also true. That does not mean that he's okay with everything you're doing. It doesn't mean that he's okay with everything that you're doing. Parents get this. You love your kids like crazy. But some days they in trouble. You love them. You ain't going to stop loving them. But it doesn't mean you're okay with everything they're doing. Right? We are spiritually naive to think that we can do whatever we want and still feel the close presence of Jesus in our life, the joy, the peace. No. Look, the Holy Spirit, I believe, speaks even now, even in these moments. 
His word is like a sword that cuts. I'm saying, what's that thing in your heart that you know needs to go? I'm encouraging you this week, talk to somebody that you know trusts Jesus and that you, you trust. And tell them that thing that's hidden. Tell them that thing that's hidden. And let them help you fight to follow Jesus only. What if discipline doesn't contradict love? He says, I love you, but you're in trouble. I'm never going to stop loving you, but I'm not okay with what you're doing. Like, okay, that's a fight. That's a fight. It was a fight in Pergamum. It's a fight here. What's the incentive? I got one more verse, verse 17. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It's like, all right, what do we get? If we, if we keep fighting, what, what do we got? To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a, what? A white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who received it. Okay, okay, that's kind of cool. We just got back to the white stone, but the bottom line is, what is my incentive here? It's bread and a rock. <laughs> if I keep fighting, I get bread and a rock, right? Manna, what was the bread like? substance that, that God would provide for his people when they were going through the wilderness. They were, they, were, they were trying to get to the promised land and daily God would give them manna. It was like bread. Every day they would pick it up, enough for that day, and then only on the day before the Sabbath would they pick up enough for the Sabbath day so that they could just rest on that day. But the point was you trust him every day. You don't pick up enough for three days, you just enough for the day. I think what Jesus is saying to us today, have you noticed that when you are trying to live above the culture of compromise, fear will lie to you. And fear will tell you, if I don't do this unethical thing that my boss is asking me to do, fear says, he may fire you. If I don't adjust my tax return, fear says we may not be able to pay our loan. If I don't give in to my boyfriend's demands, fear says he may break up with me. And here's what Jesus says to you today. I hope you can hear this. He says simply, look, I provided for Israel all those years. All those years. They wandered in the wilderness 40 years. Every day I gave them manna. Every day they wake up, I give them manna. I give them enough to, to, to take for that day. What makes you think I won't provide for you? I always find a way to put bread on the table. I pray you are encouraged by the fact that Jesus always takes care of his kids in the fight. Don't believe the lies. Believe Jesus. And then he mentions this white rock. A new name, a secret name. It's only known by the one who receives it from him. The best, best kind of analogy I know to make to this is some of y'all are grandparents and your grandkids call you weird names. Isn't that true with grandparents? Like grandkids will come up with the goofiest names. They're not even names. You're like, what was that? Well, what it usually is, is it's the first thing that comes out of a little kid's mouth when they're addressing their grandparent, and it sticks, right? And so it's some goofy name. They're, nobody calls them that at work, right? Nobody else in the family really calls them that. It's just this name that a grandkid has for their grandparents. But come on, if you're a grandparent, you know it is something special because it's something that belongs to you. It's just between you and them, and your heart soars when they call you that name. Here's what Jesus says. I know where you live, and I know who lives with you. It is Satan's throne. I know how hard this is, but if you will endure, if you will push through, if you will remain faithful, I have a name for you that is so special. Nobody else gets this name. Get this, the king of kings is like, I got a name, just me and you. Just me and you. I got a name, just, just me and you, and I'm going to give you that name. I don't know, maybe it's going to symbolize endurance. Maybe it'll symbolize faithfulness. Maybe it'll symbolize your person. It's going to symbolize, I believe, your faith. And when that day comes and he gives you that name, 
your heart is going to soar. That the king of all the ages has something so intimate, so close, so special just with you. This week, may you be reminded you are loved. You are loved. It is rock solid. Trust him. God, I thank you for your word today. And I don't know, it really may be the case that um, with the number of us in this room today, with even those who are joining us in this study, um, there may be some of us who one, one stone at a time, one thought at a time, one act at a time, one grudge at a time. God, we have, we have marched down a road where our hearts are actually far from yours. God, thank you today for the truth that you don't give up on us. Thank you today for the truth that you love us. But also thank you for the truth that you're not okay with everything that we do. God, I pray that where repentance needs to happen today, God, you will give us faith to turn back to you. To trust in the one who loves us so much. God, I love how in these letters you address those things that need to be corrected. But you don't do that by just destroying. You don't do that by just, God, beating us up. You do that by calling us over and over again to see how much you love us. God, help us to trust such love. And then, God, may this be a day, a moment, a reminder that that the only thing that really matters in our life, God, it's who you say we are. It's who you say we are. This world defines us sometimes. It labels us sometimes. It tells us when we fail It labels us as an addict, tells us when we're not pretty or not smart. God, this world names us at times. But what matters is who you say we are. Help us to believe. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray.